As I mentioned this morning, we are continuing on our First Corinthians series. In chapter 3, verse, verses, my text today is verses 10 to 17. And it is about church, uh, building God's church. And what I decide to do is, having studied on the text and got so much of good stuff and juicy stuff, I decide to turn it to our world and 21st century questions that we are asking as we look to this first century text of 1 Corinthians 3. At least four questions popped up in me. One of them is on innovation. I come from major uh, emphasis on innovation and contextualization. The church need to be powerful in a way that how we relate and, uh, relate and connect. And during even my youth ministry days, it was well-known quote that I embraced and shared. Uh, and I still believe in part, it is sin to bore the young people with God's word. In the same way, it is sin to bore people even adults, with God's word. But in that spirit, innovation and relevance is a big thing. There are new churches and new styles and just incredibly creative churches out there. And I've been part of one before. And as we build this church, this local congregation of body of Christ, this Crossway Church, The question on innovation is, what should be never changed in building God's church? In our church. What should be never changed in the name of innovation and relevance? Second question is on content or strategy. It's similar, but it's a little different. But what are right ways and wrong ways in building a local church. And how do we know? What are the right stuff and wrong stuff? How do we discern that? And once again, these questions came to me after having gone through the text today. So this, is, this will be a great way to anticipate today's text and study. Thirdly, the question is on success. What determines true or false success in building a local church? Because we are living in a consumer-oriented world, and we like it or not, we are all consumers. And the consumers ask simply one question. Does it work? Does it work for me? Is it useful for me? And the success obviously goes with that, along with that principle. But what is true success? What is false success? 
And fourth and last one is warning. Why is it important to be careful in building a local church? Why can't we do it the way we want and just go all out and taking risks without any caution? Let me, let me give you this, this much. The whole passage has the, the sound bites of warning to the church leaders, to the teachers, to the pastors. But it goes beyond the leaders of the church. It's everyone who belongs to the church. So simple question that we're asking this morning on this text today is, how shall we build God's church? The first one comes on uh, verses one, 10 and 11. It's very straightforward and simple. Uh, remember verse 9 at the end? You are God's field and you are God's building. Apostle Paul brought the root cause of division in the church, in Corinthian church, and it's their flesh. It's their carnal behaviors and sinful ways of doing. The worldliness came into church. So basically, he's saying that who is Apollos and who is Paul? He brought that, an example in going into the analogy of God's field and I planted and Apollos watered. But none of us are that important at all. We're nothing because the one who grows the plant, the field, is God himself. And then he turns to the on a second analogy, which is the building analogy. You are God's building. And you are God's building means the people of Christ. People, those who belong to Christ, you are God's building. Not the church as a physical building. And the first uh, concept that he brings it out is that in, in building God's church, we ought to keep Jesus Christ as the only, one and only foundation. Actually, we should say um, to clarify, we ought to build not on any other, but on Jesus Christ as the only foundation of the church. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You see the tone of it. Paul said, that as a founder of the church, I laid a foundation already. And someone else, now he's taking uh, Paulus out and it's general, anyone else that came in as a teacher, as a leader 
building upon it. The key leaders, core members, And the reason why I said is that there's a tone of warning is take care. The word take care is be very careful about how you do it. The first one is be careful about your foundation, laying a foundation. And Paul basically saying is that Jesus Christ is the one and only foundation of God's church. If it's not, it is not God's church. There is a tons of names of list of churches, if you, even if you open a yellow page. Uh, and they sound all like Christian churches, including uh, Unitarian Church. Unitarian Church denies the Trinity of God, Christ, I mean, Trinity of God and deny the deity of Christ. And they basically uh, believe that Jesus was a mere man who was revered. This Unitarian church lays a foundation other than Jesus of the Bible, Jesus whom, Jesus who was crucified for all of our sins. And if that is not laid as a foundation, it is not God's church. The question that innovation that we're asking is, uh, not necessarily we're not taking Jesus out, the name Jesus out, but as Mormons did, as Jehovah's Witnesses did, as um, Unitarian churches did, Modern day temptation is that we could create Jesus that is more attractive, more relevant to our own world. In some sense, politically more correct, not at least less offensive. If that is the Jesus, that is not authentic Jesus. The foundation is important. Because the foundation determines how the building has to be built. And in another context, we could say, if Jesus is not the head of the church, the body of Christ analogy, and church doesn't belong to God. The head of the church, it makes sense right now, right? Because if we don't really connect to head, which governs and controls the body. And if we disobey or do not really submit to the headship of Christ, we are not true Christ church. And some of you might be saying that uh, point taken. It's so clear and simple. And I think you're too redundant on it. There is a reason for this. Because there will be a, a change. But it is a ripple effect rather than huge one-day jump that we are laying aside Jesus as, um, the G- authentic Jesus as the yesterday's foundation and moving on to the more pragmatic, 
practical and relevant Jesus. The change is subtle and step and step as the water effect ripples. And sometimes we never intended to come this far, but has come so far away. So this foundation has to be reviewed and pay attention to every week. There come, there will be a day that we will realize that so many churches are built on something other than Jesus, authentic Jesus from the New Testament, from the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament together. Paul, before anything, he makes this clear, saying, for no one, verse 11, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Church has a two, three different meanings to it, right? Church as a universal church, it's an invisible church. We, we are not just the main, the only church that exists. The whole world, the body of Christ, spiritual body is there. We don't know exactly who belongs to that. Well, we generally know, and our church belongs to the body of Christ, and that corporate universal church, and the second thing is a local congregation like you and me belong to this church, and this is a small expression of church that belongs to God. And thirdly, individually, we are each believer, true believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and it's called not on this passage. This passage is more corporate meaning. But chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is not on your own. You're bought with precious, precious blood of Jesus. Paid with price. So then in these three concepts, Lest we think that this is just about the pastors and church leaders and that we detach ourselves from it and say, oh, that church problem, I agree. That church leaders, they're building on, on, on their ego and whatever the agenda they have. We need to look at ourselves because Jesus is speaking to us in such a way that we are responsible in our home, laying a foundation on Jesus. In each individual life, laying a foundation on Jesus. Of course, in our church. Number two, in building God's church, we ought to build not with worldly wisdom, but with God's hidden wisdom. Verse 12. Now, beyond the foundation, he talks about building materials. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. There are six things of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straws. And actually, in the two groups of uh, building materials, gold, silver, precious stones point to the inflammable, lasting through the fire. But in that wood, hay, straw is flammable and short-lived. And from our point of view, this point of view, this is easy. So why would anyone build, under, build, build with hay and straw? Okay, strong wood, yes. But hay and straw, unless you are building a toy house or, or some kind of a you know, deserted island that you have to make a shelter for yourself. It doesn't make sense. And in, but in reality, what Paul's getting at is this. Until the day, it might not be revealed fully. Until the day, it could be misleading, misleading, deceiving in some sense. What do they re- represent? I think um, some commentators rest- restrict this meaning on the doctrine and teaching only. Uh, but I, I agree with Leo Morris who says it's, it will be more general. Because if you, once you uh, narrow it down to the teaching and doctrine only, and then lay people are not responsible in some sense, right? Of course, Paul is going at those who are in, in uh, leadership position and teaching and pastoring, shepherding the church. And even Book of James, remember that? Many, not many of you should be teachers. Why? Teachers incur stricter, stricter judgment. And Paul is going at that too. But look at the word, each one's work will become manifest. As a members of, of the building, God's building together, we are actually participating in this. And we talked about laying a foundation individually as well as corporately on Jesus and Jesus alone. The same thing. Which building material are you using? Is it God's wisdom based on the scripture? And Paul just talked about worldly wisdom versus God's secret hidden wisdom, which appeared to be folly. Maybe too simplistic. Maybe too inefficient to our world. And here's a worldly wisdom, short-lived flares, fancy, and maybe it could be just rapid in terms of producing things. And there are many churches who are filled with people 
By God's grace, God is doing great work in many of those churches. But through the lens of this warning, and at least the tone of warning, we should at least raise the question, not as a judgment to others, but as a caution for our own selves. Are we using whatever works best, worldly wisdom or God's wisdom? What is our view on Scripture? Is that Scripture something that we quote to start with? But in really practical things, is it interesting stories and, and these great wisdom of our days, the writers and authors, while well, we look to God's hidden wisdom, type of wisdom that we will never create because God has revealed himself. God's ways are different. God's ways are higher. What do you think? What's predominant in building strategy in our days, local church-wise? There is a reason for this popularity of not only prosperity gospel, if you believe God will make you prosper and healthier and wealthier, but also this consumer-oriented church. And we could become like that because we are, by nature, in this society, consumers as well. So is it wrong to, to pay attention to the business model and the whatever what it works really well, the best practice in our days on children's ministry, lay counseling ministry, even welcome and hospitality ministry? Is it wrong to go to uh, conferences like Sticky Conference? You know what Sticky Conference is? When visitors come, make, make your church sticky so they stick. They don't leave. If we have Jesus as a foundation and learn to discern good things and the basic premises and presuppositions, the worldly wisdom, we take away, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. So I'm not suggesting for those of you who studied MBA and for those who are continually consulting as a business not at all. And we need to learn to, to run uh, our church in, in that sense better. And certainly, I need much help. But the point is, we tend to revere the pragmatic ways. We tend to revere the con- inspirational ways. We tend to attract it to something that is very efficient and very fast. And many of us, starting with me, are impatient 
And Eugene Peterson's word is so good to us to remind ourselves. He says, uh, those of people who are in doing well, who desires, who expects quick results will be disappointed. He mentions, if you plant potatoes in your backyard tonight, it will not do anything good for tomorrow. The concept is what God is doing, and if we do not set ourselves intentionally aside and God be the builder and God be the center, we're going to be so frustrated with slow process. But God is never late. Did you hear me? God is never late. Perfect timing because perfect God is perfect and sovereign. What could be our temptation in, in this? So whatever works, uh, quick fixes and Whatever works better for our church, we continually import that. And I think one of the reasons why the way that we do church is difficult is it's a mindset. The people who have gone to the churches in Orange County are well-trained to be a consumer-oriented church member. I mean, it's, it's a, the evil one has done a, such a good job in in a way that whole expectation and Christian culture became that way. In light of that, certainly our church is uptight. I mean, we have to belong to men's group and women's group and home group and quiet time list and solitude and silence. All this is one package deal to be a member. Oh, I want to go somewhere easy. Yeah, you and I are both responsible for what type of material that we use. But let's be careful. Let's be careful about what seemingly doing so well might be wiped away, gone away, burned away. When the day when Jesus returns, when ju judgment day comes. Which leads to the third point. But before we go into the third point, this is the kind of glimpse of what, through the eyes of Apostle Paul, as if he was sitting with us, he warns us. In a Second Timothy chapter four, verse three to five, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Why? The third point is this. In building God's church, we ought to focus not on temporal results, but on the eternal reward. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though himself, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, I think many of us, many Christians I know is confused about this, that once we belong to Christ, and there is no judgment whatsoever. Now, there are two kinds of judgment. The judgment seat of white throne, and God separates those who belong to him and those who do not belong to him, those who place their faith in Jesus, those who are saved, and those who have chosen not to, those who are without Christ, those who are not saved. We're not talking about that judgment. But there will be a judgment of Christ for all believers on that day. And then each one of us will be accounted for what we have done. From the point of our conversion to our physical death or until Jesus comes back. Thank God, whatever happened before our um, conversion and regeneration is wiped away. There is no record of that. And even the sin that we live, we continually have and will have, will wipe away also too. But the way we spend each day with our energy, with our talent, with our treasure, whether we build God's people for God's kingdom with the wrong materials, with the right materials, or wrong foundation, will be judged. Well, this is a warning, obviously. But at the same time, this is the crucial central message we need to bring back to our attention. Do you know what Jesus said in even Sermon on the Mount? So many passages and uh, passage after passage, he mentions reward. Those who suffer for my name's sake, for kingdom of God, great is your reward. So there is a reward. And there's nothing wrong to desire that. Why? Because God's reward is God's glory for us and our joy. And two things are this, uh, eclipsed in God's, um, the biblical concept, true concept, 
not separate. We do duty so that we could have our own joy apart from God's glory. This is man-centered spirituality. But if we really look at that, as a, when God's glory is revealed fully in us, that we will be most joyful. That our treasure above all else becomes our greatest joy. So in that regard, when you hear um, the greatest reward or he will receive a reward, we should focus on this. Not on the short-term term, temporal progresses that we see. And in light of that, I think it's what's going on even in our church, whether we're doing well or not. And obviously, the numerical growth comes up. So it, I, it, two, two both ways are wrong, isn't it? The consumer oriented is almost targeting the people who are non-church goers or unchurched and to make them come and we numerically grow. And that becomes a, such a, a worldly ways. And then, and here is a, another extreme to think that uh, we're all about uh, quality. We care for each other. We go deep with each other. And there is no external expression of love of Christ. And we don't love those who are different, those who are last, and those who are least, those who are lost. And that we're self-absorbed. It is not expression of true God's church. And having said that, I think we need to be careful about how do we really evaluate and assess what we're doing? Is it a God-centered way of evaluating? Or is it a man-centered way of looking for quick results? Either way. So beginning with leaders and pastors and elders, all believers will be accounted for this work. So whether you serve in um, children's ministry, your home group, and leading, leading one session on Exodus study, whether you're doing nothing, all that will be Accounted on that day. So I think one, one thing that really helps me is whatever I see and I feel, especially, you know, you know uh, my confession, when Kate comes after the service and comes to me and said, that was a great message, uh, I'm, I'm all like, I'm like I, I made it. I'm the man. The man. When Kate goes, I expected it more. Like it wasn't that good. It's a, it's a Sunday night. It's blue. Depressed. Do I build on that? Do I pay attention to? 
focus on that. And I'm not, I'm not saying just to my wife, but, you know, my wife's opinion is much, weighs more because she has so much power over me, you know. <laughs> but many of you also, too, when you, when you encourage me with, oh, that was a great message, I need to hear that. And I, I, I feel like, you know, the prophet is born here. The reward is on that day. Until that day, many of us will be nameless. Not just me, but you also too. No one would be written, may not be written on the page of the newspaper or Christianity today as a 40 emerging leaders under 40 or under 50. And I close with number four. And this is a similar but a yet slightly different analogy. Now God's building, and he's talking about God's temple, but it's still building analogy, right? Point number four is in building God's church, we ought to fear the Lord who warns against destroying the church. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Okay, make a little note, right? The verse 16 is often quoted as the individual believers as a temple of the spirit, God's temple. You know, at this passage, on this passage, Paul is talking about the corporate congregation and church. Later, chapter 6, verse 19 is individual. Verse 17, returning to that. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. How do you destroy God's temple, God's church? You live on the flesh, the fallen nature, atomic nature of sinful nature. Because you're self-centered and you're continually self-absorbed. And you begin to become a source of division, either gossip or the unresolved conflict, negativism, criticism, all that. Or if you're a leader, you teach and lead people wrong way. And, and you build your little kingdom that instead of building the temple, God's people, well, there are people who are in, even in our days the teachers and follower, teachers and leaders who have their followers rather than the followers of Christ. How do you destroy, destroy the church? You do nothing. You become lazy. You become apathetic. You become cynic. What good is it? You could destroy the church. And suddenly, when I 
you know, I, I get this feeling very, very well when I am with my four boys. A lot of times during the summertime, I spend more time with them than Kate. And then one of them has cynical attitude. One of them has sassy comments about each bro another brother. Oh, this just kills me. And I literally say, can you smack Kim in the back? I can, I can smack him right now. Smack him on the head. I give you permission to do it. So let's put ourselves in that. And my confession is that applying this right away is we ought to be very cautious about how we make comments about other churches, other church leaders, not only, not only within our church, as if we're doing so much better than others in such a way that we can destroy the universal church. Because the church is not just a little body we have here. So warning is severe and literal. This is not hyperbole or, you know, God is, Jesus is not threatening with just false things. Anyone who destroys the church, the temple of God, will be destroyed. There's a literal destruction in hell. And we could get confused about this, right? The security of believer. Isn't it once saved, always saved? And maybe we should think that, that this way. If we destroy the church, one, those who think that they're Christian, they're not actually true, saved, regenerated Christians. And it, it proves the other way around. But the warning is for all of us. God cares so deeply for his church. However hypocritical, weak, and inefficient it might look, God cares for his church much, much more than we do. Do you know he cares for our church, Crossway Church? And from time to time, he shows his favor on us to tap on our shoulder. I said, when nothing's happening, don't think that nothing's really happening. I am at work, amidst of you. In the same way, in your own home, in your personal walk, when nothing's happening, remind yourself that God is at work. He is going to finish what, he's, what, he, what he had begun. Final reminder, I close with this quote by John Calvin, because I needed it. Looking for the reward of good works, we must wait patiently until the last day, the day of resurrection. So my meditation and reflection on that is this. If I expect that we were today, in this coming week, in this year, 
and within five years, I will be disappointed. One step further. If we pay attention to this week and this year, in five years, we're going to shift our attention to the wrong materials, to the worldly wisdom and savviness of man's centered principles rather than God's hidden wisdom. May God open our eyes to this truth. And may you and I become a true, faithful builders. And on that day, let's anticipate, well done, my good and faithful servant. Gracious God, eternal Father, we belong to you. Son of David, our foundation and head of this church, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, our guide and our director, open our eyes and illumine the ways in which we need to stay the course that we might anticipate the reward on that day when Jesus returns, on the day of resurrection. Our church is feeble, weak, in many ways immature, and limited. But God, thank you that you are the builder, that you give us your guidance through the hidden wisdom that's been revealed in Scripture. And teach us, each one of us, to be the faithful builder today in the coming weeks. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.